Let us read together in the scriptures from Genesis uh, chapter 12. Uh, Genesis chapter 12. And we want to read from verse 10. Abraham is now in Canaan, in the place of his inheritance, to which Christ has brought him, and in the which Christ has appeared in human form to him. And he has been given uh, many promises, and he's begun to live there and to worship the Lord in Canaan. And now we read verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while, because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abraham well for her sake, and Abraham acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maidservants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham's wife Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abraham. What have you done to me, he said? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abraham to his men, and they sent him on his way. With his wife, And everything he had. So Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev. With his wife and everything he had. And Lot went with him. Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel. To the place between Bethel and Ai. Where his tent had been earlier. And where he'd first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Amen. What do you expect life to be like for you as a Christian? Do you expect life to be easier, better, richer, freer of trouble? Because you are a Christian. Some Christians believe that. And that's sadly because there are churches that teach that. And they say that those saved by Christ 
do not become ill, do not lose their job, do not experience hardship of any kind. And if a Christian does, these churches would say, it's happened because of a lack of faith on the part of the believer. And such churches would recommend then that the believer claim healing, claim a job, claim whatever it is you need. Because Christ wants you to be healthy, wealthy and prosperous. That teaching is religious bunkum. Indeed it is worse than that. It is heretical. Do not be distracted or deceived by it. It contradicts the universal experience of true believers. And it flies in the face of the word of God. Those who read the Bible quickly discover that every child of God mentioned in its pages had trials. Noah, Joseph, Job, David, Naomi, Esther, Peter, Paul, the list is unending. Not to mention, of course, Jesus himself, the perfect man, the true and faithful servant of God. We're told in his human life, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Can we honestly expect that we will have a better, richer, freer of trouble life than the perfect Son of God and the only perfect man ever to live? James in the New Testament reminds us that Christians will face, literally it is, fall into. Like the man going down the road from Jericho to Jerusalem, he fell among thieves. We fall into trials of many kinds. And James teaches us that these trials are the testing of your faith. In other words, through these trials, Christ matures our faith in him. He removes impurities from our faith, things that we still want to hold on to and put some trust in. He removes the sins, the faults and the weaknesses. So that we learn perseverance in Christ. We learn a deeper and a full trust in Christ. We learn patience in Christ. We learn steadfastness from Christ and through Christ. And we learn hope in Christ that does not perish. Trials quite simply make us more like Christ. And this morning our theme from Genesis chapter 12 and verse 10 right through to chapter 13 verse 4 is this. 
the testing of Abraham's faith. The testing of the believer's faith. Turn then please to page 13 in the church Bible. Genesis 12 verse 10 if you're using your own Bible. And there are four things I want us to note about the testing of Abraham's faith. First of all, we note Abraham's severe test. And we want to think about the testing of his faith and each point in this sermon in the light of his inheritance in Christ. So here, Abraham's severe test, what does it do? It questions. It contradicts his inheritance in Christ. Verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. The end of the verse, the famine was severe. Abram is in the land of promise. The land to which the Lord has brought him. The land in which Christ has appeared to him. The land in which he is to settle with his family. The land in which he is already establishing a true worship to the living God. And the land in which he is already bearing witness to his unbelieving neighbours. Surely if anyone was going to have a life that was better, richer, freer of trouble, it ought to be this man. And yet here in the land of inheritance, this man experiences famine. What a shock it must have been to him as famine struck the land. It's easy to imagine the kind of questions Abraham would have asked himself. Perhaps he even raised them with Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew. What has become of God's promise to bless us in this place? Is God not able to fulfill his promise? Or has God perhaps changed his mind along the way? Or did we in fact misread God's will in coming to this place? Or were we right to come to this place, but now that we've been here some time, we have displeased God and he sent a famine in the land as a punishment. How can we be in the place of the Lord's calling and be experiencing famine? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Or questions like those that I've just raised? You move house uh, after carefully seeking the Lord's will in prayer and in his word. And you think through it very carefully. And you take the advice of other Christians. And you have a sense of God's providence opening up the way for you to do that. And no sooner have you moved house than your job becomes uncertain. And you face a struggle to pay the mortgage. Or after seeking God's will about your work and vocation, you take up a new job 
And again you've prayed about it and you've sought God in his word and you've asked him to close the door if this is wrong. You've gone for the interview. You've been offered the job against expectations. And when you get into the job a few weeks, you discover your new boss is a nightmare to work for. And you begin to ask, is this my inheritance? Was I right? Or here you are this morning and you've become a Christian in recent years. And since you've become a Christian, yes, you know wonderful blessings. But life has become hard. Relationships have become strained because there's a change that has taken place in some relationships. Because now you're in Christ and those around you, they are out of Christ. Now you're on Christ's side and they continue on the devil's side. And so there's a tension that opens up. Or think in terms of the church. A minister accepts a call to a congregation. And after being there for a period of time, all kinds of difficulties begin to arise within the congregation. And they ask himself, why am I here? Is this the place of my inheritance? Or think in terms of ourselves here in Carrick Fergus. Having come here to seek to establish a witness to Christ, have you ever asked yourself, why is it so hard? Why is the number of people in church today less than seven years ago? Have we offended Christ? Have we misread the will of Christ? This instant in Abraham's life teaches us two very simple things at this stage that we need to note and we need to hold on to. First of all, the trials come in the things of everyday life. Trials to the Christian come in the things of everyday life. Food, job, family, relationships, church. There's the whole gamut of life. And then secondly, and very importantly, we can be in the precise place where the Lord wants us to be and experience famine. Abraham's severe test. But then let's notice secondly, Abraham's faithless response. Abraham's faithless response. And again, as we think of this in relation to his inheritance, he is now going to endanger his inheritance through his faithless response to the famine. We're looking at verse 10, the second part of it. How does Abram respond? And Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while. Abraham forsakes the land. He leaves the place of his inheritance as if God had never brought him there. As if Christ had never appeared to him there. As if he had never been 
a worshipper there, as if he had never had a witness there. And we asked him very basic questions about Abraham's decision to leave. Does the Lord appear to him and tell him to leave? No, he doesn't. Does Abraham pray? No, he doesn't. He has altars at Shechem and Ai. And yet Abraham leaves Canaan. He leaves his inheritance in Christ without the word of Christ and without calling on the name of the Lord in prayer. Abraham's faithless response. Now let's be clear. Let's not overstate the case. Abraham isn't denying the faith. He isn't on his way back to Haran and then to Ur, to the, his family and the false gods of the past, saying, I was wrong to trust in the Lord those years ago. He doesn't say, I'm done with following the Lord. Sometimes trials do have that effect on a professing Christian. Jesus taught the parable of the sower. And the seed sown on rocky soil. What is it? It's the professing Christian. And then they have trials that come. And Jesus says some quickly fall away. Abraham doesn't do that. He doesn't deny Christ. He is a true believer. But he doesn't make his decisions by faith in the Son of God. He doesn't trust Christ to provide for him in the land where Christ has sent the famine and is Lord over the famine. And you see later, Elijah will do the very opposite. Because Elijah will be in the land and there will be a famine. And what will Elijah do? He'll stay put. And the Lord will feed him by the ravens. And then when that is no longer the Lord's purpose, the Lord will send him to a widow at Zarephath and he will be fed there. You see, Abraham makes a faithless response to the famine in the place of his inheritance. And I can do that. And you can do that. We can make a faithless response to Christ. When in his sovereign wisdom he brings us into the experience of famine. Go back for a moment to the job with your nightmare boss. Your response is crucial. You can respond to that situation without faith. And you say, I'm going to sort this out myself. And I'm going to give as good as I get. And I'm going to stand up for myself. And I'm going to use my own wisdom. And I'm going to use every avenue that I can to protect myself. You do it without prayer. You do it without being shaped by the word of God. You do it without uh, praying for your enemies and those who persecute you. 
uh, and despitefully use you and if you do that you'll make a mess of it and you may end up losing your mental emotional and spiritual well-being and perhaps the point may come when you leave the job due to stress and the inability to work with your nightmare boss as you see it but respond to the situation with faith and remind yourself I am here because Christ opened this door for me and yes there's famine here and I wish it wasn't the case and I prefer not to be in this situation but I am here in his will and his purpose Lord Jesus give me grace give me strength to persevere, to survive, to hold on, to honour you, to follow you. Where the Lord has put you in life, young people, boys and girls, where he's placed you in school, you will know problems and trials. Young people, university, or as you start work, where the Lord places you in school, in work, in the church, in the community. That is your inheritance in Christ as we saw last week. Do not forsake it. Through a faithless response to famine that comes. I ask you this morning. Are you in danger of forsaking your inheritance in Christ? Are you in danger of abandoning the ship because the sea that you're travelling on or it's travelling on is rough? Are you in danger of acting without prayer, without guidance through the word? In famine, we remain where the Lord has placed us. And we face the famine in faith unless the Lord clearly and unmistakably leads us from it. Abraham's severe test. Abraham's faithless response. Let's notice then thirdly, Abraham's disobedient life. Abraham's disobedient life. And by his disobedient life, he denies his inheritance in Christ. By his disobedient life, he denies that he has an inheritance in Christ. We're looking now at verses 11 through to 16. Sarai is beautiful. Abraham knows that. And we see that the Egyptians saw her as very beautiful. Even more beautiful than Abram did. And Abram has this fear. And you see, when we stop living by faith, then we live in fear. Fear of the what if. Fear of the unknown. Fear of the whatever. Verse 12 Abram says, when the Egyptians see you, and look at how selfish this man is. 
then they will kill me. He's not even concerned at this stage that they're going to take Sarah and they're going to abuse her and misuse her. No, it's all about me. They will kill me, but will let you live. And he doesn't mind what's going to happen to Sarah. He doesn't care. And how does he face this new problem? Does he pray to Christ? Does he remember the word of Christ and that become a stabilizing factor and say, I shouldn't be going here at all, I'm going to go back? Does he say to Sarah, well, Sarah, I think we have no option but to go to Egypt, but we need to guard against this possibility. You are my wife and no man is going to touch you without first killing me. Because you are the woman that God has given me. That's what a man should do. Men and boys, it's your calling in life always to defend women. God has given you that position to lay yourself on the line for the well-being of women. If you see a woman being abused or spoken to wrongly, it is your responsibility to defend her. If your children, your boys, speak ill of their mother, it's your responsibility as a father to call them to account. Men, teach your boys to honour women as a gift, the greatest gift from God. No, Abraham doesn't do any of these things. It's all about me. You see, that's the whole tension. It's either Christ or it's me. He says, verse 13, Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. Go to sacrifice his wife on the altar of self. Men, do not sacrifice the well-being of your wives, emotionally, spiritually, or mentally, on your own agenda. Or wishes. Verse 13. There is a grain of truth of course. In what he says. Because when we go through to chapter 20 verse 12. We will realise that Sarah is his half sister. They have a common father. A different mother. But that doesn't matter here. That's not the point here. The point here is. Abraham wants to hide the truth, the central and crucial truth, Sarai is his wife. And he will do whatever he wants in order to achieve that. And like Abraham, we can justify our decisions as men, as women, as Christians, to ourselves, our families, to the church, with a reason that has a ring of truth to it. But in fact masquerades the real basis for actions. What about the person who says, when they're asked, if you wanted to worship in the Lord's Day, why were you not worship? We missed you. I didn't feel well. 
And yes, there's an element of truth to that. They weren't feeling the 100%. But if it had been a working day, they would have been at work. The reality is, they didn't want to be at church. Or what about the person who says, I slept in? The fact is, they didn't set their alarm. Or the alarm went off and they switched it off. And they wouldn't do that on a Monday to Friday because they need to be at college or they need to be at work or whatever. The fact is, church didn't really matter for them. And you see, they cover it over with something that has a little ring of truth to it, but it's hiding a deep underlying problem that is developing in their lives. And so Abraham, he enters Egypt. And Sarah, Sarai is noticed, not by the ordinary Egyptians, but by Pharaoh's servants. It's worse than he could have imagined. Verse 15, the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. And again, men and women and fellow believers, that's what happens. When we begin to handle life without faith in Christ and we make faithless responses and we go a path of disobedience, in other words, a path of unbelief and disobedience to Christ, then things turn out worse than even we imagine. Our solutions, Abraham's solution, causes the situation to be worse than he ever anticipated. So what hope, humanly speaking, has he of getting his wife back? She's in the royal palace. He's not going to be able to snatch her away at night and head back up into, into Canaan. But then you see Abraham can say, well, in Egypt, I food. I didn't have that in Canaan. My livestock have grass. And then look at what happens with Sarai and Pharaoh's house. He enjoys protection. None of these Egyptians are going to dare harass Abraham. Because he's in favour with Pharaoh. And here in Egypt, Abraham has abundant provision. Look at how his herds and his flocks and his servants were told in chapter three, chapter 13, verse 2, even gold and silver, he's increasing. He's doing well. Abraham's doing nicely in Egypt. Living a disobedient life. Having made a faithless response. Is Abraham living by faith in Christ? Is he? In one sense, yes he is. This man has not ceased to be a believer. He hasn't ceased to be a believer. Though he's made a faithless response to a famine and though he's living a, a disobedient life. But is Abram living by faith in Christ? No, of course he isn't. He's not working out of salvation and fear and trembling. He's leading a compromised, disobedient, backslidden life that dishonours Christ. 
And yet here's the frightening thing. He's doing well. He's doing well. He's richer. He's better off materially in Egypt than he was in Canaan. So what's the issue? What's missing? The altars. The altars to Christ. Who can tell that Abraham is a believer? Can Pharaoh tell that Abraham is a believer? Can the Egyptians, have they any idea that here's a man who worships the true and living God as this God is revealed? No. Nobody can tell. See, his life is compromised. Is there a contradiction in your life today? If I were to ask you this morning, if anyone was to ask you this morning, are you saved? You would say, absolutely. On a certain date, in a certain year, in a certain place, I was saved by Christ. But are you living by faith in the Son of God today? Or are you in Egypt? Have you solved the trials of life by yourself? Could you be compromised? Could you be doing well materially? Could you be someone with a developing career? Or good career prospects? An increasing salary when others are taking pay cuts? But you're withering spiritually. You have no altars in your life. You're too busy prospering in Egypt, making money, earning a living, amassing possessions. And you're all the time living in the favour of the Egyptians, the world. And if truth were known, you haven't cultivated a life of faith for years in Christ. Yes, you dip into the scriptures now and again. And you dip into church most Sabbaths. But you're not actually being changed in heart and life to be like Christ. The altars are missing. Boys and girls, the people that sits beside you in school and your friends, they don't know you're a Christian. Teenagers, those that you hang around with in the playground, they don't know you're Christians. Men and women, the altars are missing. Your next door neighbour doesn't know you're a Christian. That new colleague at work that has been there now for months and years, they don't know you're a Christian. Because you haven't opened your mouth for Christ for years. And the boss doesn't know you're a Christian. You're sacrificing your faith and your life and your family in Egypt. Abraham's disobedient life. But then let's notice finally this morning Abraham's gracious restoration. His gracious restoration. And think about his inheritance. What does he do with it? His inheritance in Christ. 
when he's graciously restored, he reclaims it and regains it. We're looking now at chapter 12 from verse 17 through to chapter 13, verse 4. Abraham's gracious restoration. So what is going to become of the precious promises that the Lord has made to Abraham? How will Abraham have a children in Egypt? How will Abraham become a great nation in Egypt? How will Abraham inherit the promises, the blessing of the Lord in Egypt? How will he be a blessing to the nations of the earth while he's in Egypt? Is there any hope for Abraham in Egypt? How can he get out of the mess he has got himself into? Is he praying? Is he crying to the Lord to rescue him? As we have seen David do in our studies in 1 Samuel. When David wrongly got himself to live among the Philistines. No, Abram's doing none of those things. Getting on merrily with life. With the swelling bank balance and swelling assets. There is no hope for Abram. No hope for Abram. Absolutely none. Everything is becoming blacker by the day. Abraham has forgotten the Lord. Abraham has denied his inheritance. He's endangered his inheritance in this time of trial. This would be a tragic story if it ended at Genesis 12 verse 16. But it doesn't. Thank God for the opening words of verse 17. But the Lord. But Christ. But Christ. And wouldn't your life be a tragic tale? And my life be a tragic tale? If it were not for the but Christ. Yes, even as Christians, our lives, my life, your life, how often it would be a sorry, sad mess of confusion and compromise and sin if it were not for those words, but the Lord Jesus Christ. These words are the only key that can release Abraham from the prison he is in. He has forgotten Christ. He's forgotten his promises. He's forgotten his inheritance. He's living like an unbeliever. But the Lord has not forgotten him. Is anyone here this morning living like an unbeliever? Monday through Saturday? Forgetting the Lord? Getting on with your life. Doing your own thing. The Lord has not forgotten you. If you're truly his saved child. So what does the Lord do? Does he send an earthquake to rescue Sarai from Pharaoh's house? 
as the Lord rescued Paul in Philippi, or as the angel uh, rescued Peter in Jerusalem? No, it's very different circumstances, very different causes. Peter and Paul were in danger on account of their faith and obedience. That's why they were in a prison. It wasn't, not, it wasn't a prison of their own making. It was a prison through obedience and faith. Abraham and Sarai. Well, Sarai, she's in a prison because of Abraham's compromise and disobedience as a believer. And so the Lord uses a different means. The Lord plagues Pharaoh and his house with great plagues, the literal translation, because of Sarai. You see, the Lord is thinking of Sarai. Abraham's not, as far as we can see, giving a hoot about Sarai and the promises. Though no doubt he still loves her and misses her emotionally. But the Lord is looking after her. And Christ acts in judgment to protect Sarai, the victim of Abram's foolish and sinful actions. Now we're not given the details here. How Pharaoh becomes aware of this, perhaps he's simply acting out of superstition. Things are going wrong. What have I done recently that could be the cause of this? Well, I've taken the wife, I've taken this woman who's come down here and who I believe is a sister. Somehow, perhaps he knew it through his pagan sorcerers and magicians. Whatever way he concludes that his woes are related to Sarai. And so he summons Abraham, he rebukes him, and he returns Sarai to him, and he expels him from the land. He sends him packing. And the reality is that Pharaoh goes further than he needs to go. All Pharaoh needs to do is to get rid of Sarai. But he doesn't only just give Sarai back. The Lord ensures that Pharaoh is the instrument. The unbeliever is the instrument to drive the believer Abraham out of Egypt. And back into the place of faith and obedience. And if this morning you're living in Egypt. A disobedient and compromised life. That neglects your inheritance in Christ. Then my prayer has been this week. And my prayer is today. That those words. But the Lord Jesus Christ. Will be true in your life. That today Christ will arrest you. Using whatever means he purposes and wishes, whether sickness or unemployment or an unbeliever, whatever, it doesn't matter, as long as you're turned back. Now, how do you know, as a compromised Christian and a backslidden Christian, how do you know that you've been turned back? How will it be evident? Well, look at what Abraham does. He makes his way out of the place where he has been, that has been the place of compromise, 
and he makes his way up through the Negev, and that was in the land of Canaan, and it would seem that in the southern part of Canaan, he didn't have any altars, he hadn't built any altars there, and he goes right back to the place where he had first called on the name of the Lord. We're told between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, where he had first built an altar. And you see, when the believer is restored from being backslidden or compromised, whether to a great degree or a small degree, what will we do? What will we always do? What will we inevitably do? We will call on the name of Christ. The altar of worship. The altar of repentance. The altar of faith. By which we came into salvation. It will be at the heart of our lives again. Do you want to know if you're walking with Christ this morning? And I ask you, is the altar there? The heart of your life? And if it isn't, you've got to go back to the time when it was. And you've got to forsake the place and the thing and the people and the issues that have taken you away from the place of faith, repentance, obedience, worship to God in Christ. The testing of Abram's faith is indeed the testing of our faith. May God give us grace to learn from Abram so that we don't have to repeat the mistakes and the sins of Abram. Amen. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord God, for your word which is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. This word that is full of Christ. This word that brings us again and again to Christ. When we in our hearts and minds and lives so easily wander away from Christ. Lord, help us today. If any of us are facing trials in personal life, in our family, and as we face trials and challenges in our church life. Lord, help us uh, today to, in the severe test, not make a faithless response, not to pursue a disobedient life, but rather to live by faith in the Son of God, the Saviour who gave himself for us and whom Scripture tells us you will give us with him freely all things that we need. Lord, if any is compromised, backslidden, if anyone is in Egypt today, then Lord Jesus, lay your hand upon their lives and turn them back in repentance and in faith. And may they resolve now that they will build the altar of repentance and faith and obedience to Christ 
in their life from this moment on. And they will turn away from whatever things, whatever ones, have led them away from Christ in the first place. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.